Good morning, LCM. Today is Sunday, December 12th, 2021. And might I say, what a fruitful time we are experiencing right now in this church. Look, man, more than ever, we are witnessing this body building itself up in love, ministering to each other on a greater level. Like never before, we are watching each family move in the same direction, unified in purpose, fully dedicated to the brotherhood of believers and making every effort to grow up in every way into Christ who is the head. In fact, we can see the image of Christ becoming ever more apparent in you because you're taking the word and this way of life seriously and bearing fruit to show it. What? What Pastor Matt is sharing with you is the fact that your pastors and your elders as a collective team are encouraged by who you are, LCM, by who you actually are in this moment. You should be encouraged by our view of you. I think you should be understanding that our view sometimes is better of you than it is of yourself. We think that God is moving in powerful ways here. We want to give you confidence today that you're getting this right and that God's favor is upon us. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Can you give me a better amen than that? 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is where we want to go for our opening scripture of the day. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. As you are turning, say confident. Come on, you're going to like this. I'm going to read this to you from the ESV because it just struck me in a way that I think is absolutely beautiful, and I think it relates to us here in this room. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1, it says this, as God's co-workers, did I say ESV? I think I mean NIV. NIV. I'm sorry. NIV. As God's co-workers, I got all excited, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says... God says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, yeah, I helped you. I tell you now, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Did you hear how this passage started? The, the, it started out with, as God's co-workers. This is speaking to each other as fellow laborers in Christ. See, the beauty of this passage and how it begins is what I think is one of the most beautiful parts of this church. Namely, that we are calling and urging each other from a place of being co-workers, of being co-laborers in Christ. Not a hierarchy, but we are trying to find the largest round table that we can and have us all seated there with Jesus Christ at the head. See, that is what is being built here in this church is the unity of a singular family. We're appealing to you today. We're calling out to you today. We are urging you today that you have not received God's grace in vain. You are making every effort. You're troubling yourself to operate in all that God is doing here in our midst. We want to let you know that the word urge here found in the NIV comes from a Greek word, called Parakaleo, and we do have a slide for you. That is also Mora, and we're going to keep praying for her. We just wanted to remind you <laughs> to keep praying for Mora. We have a word called Parakaleo. The truth is, is you saw the slide earlier. It's okay. It comes from a couple of different words. It's a contracted, it's a compound word in the Greek. And what it is, it comes from the word para, which means the side of. And it means, and it also comes from the other word of kaleo, to call. So literally, parakaleo comes as a compound word that means called to the side of. There you can see it with the footnote of where we got the information from. Parakaleo called to the side of. And that is what is happening today as God's co-workers, as fellow laborers with you. We're calling you up to our side. We're calling each other to the side. God is showing his favor. He's actually showing his salvation here in this group. Isn't that right, Brent and Vincent? God is actually moving in our midst. See, now is the time. Everybody say, now is the time. Now is the time of God's favor because he's blessing our unity. He is blessing us abundantly as we operate as co-workers in equal standing with each other. Before I hand it off, everybody say, now is the time. Now is the time. 
Man, did you hear the prophecy today that God is moving in our midst and he's preparing us for great things and he's also doing things in us now. I don't want you to get the perspective today that you have to wait for some undetermined time in the future. Now is the time of God's favor upon you. And it's because of that that we have equal standing with each other. Oh, we need to get this down. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, now is the time. Now is the time of God's favor because he is calling us to his side. Amen. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1 and say now is the time as you turn. Second Peter 1 1, we will read out of the ESV. Yeah, eventually. We're going to mix it up a little bit this morning. Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you hear that, what we repeated? Isn't that incredible? The Apostle Peter is speaking to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with his own, Amen. with the group that he was in. He's speaking to those of equal standing in the faith, and so are we this morning. LCM, you have obtained a faith of equal standing, one that is of the righteousness of our God and Savior, and his work is being displayed inside of you. You are strengthening your resolve to remain standing in this faith even unto death, just as these men did. This calls to mind something, an event that took place somewhere around 320 A.D. And it's one that we're all very familiar with. It was a time when righteous men stood their ground in the great contest of faith, and they never left the ice. These 40 Holy martyrs of Sebas, Turkey, were part of the 12th Roman legion named Legio Fulminata. Because of their Christian faith and uncompromising convictions, they were condemned by the prefect to be exposed naked on a frozen pond on a bitterly cold night that they may meet their end by freezing to death. Among the 40 confessors, one yielded. And leaving his companions, he sought the warm baths near the lake, which had been prepared for any who might prove inconstant. Upon immersion into the cauldron, the one who yielded went into shock and immediately died. This is the inevitable fate for all who try to save their own lives. One of the guards, his name was... Aglaeus was set to keep watch over the martyrs and beheld at this moment a supernatural brilliancy overshadowing these men. He at once proclaimed himself a Christian, threw off his garments, and joined the remaining 39 there on the ice. Come on. Therefore, the number 40 remained true. Amen. Now, you may hear people refer to this event as the 39 plus one. This is highlighting the abandonment of one and the joining of another. That one was answering the call to come to the side of these original men of faith, obtaining a faith himself of equal standing, just as theirs. Church, this is the righteous stand that righteous men and women have always taken. Revelation 2 tells us to be faithful even to the point of death, and Jesus Christ himself will give you the crown of life. Yeah. See, it's obvious that this event has greatly inspired this church. Having a hard time speaking right now. What we're telling you today is that we are proud of you as yeah. your pastors. We kind of like you too. <laughs> <laughs> you have taken... Every story, every truthful event like these 40 martyrs, these 39 plus one, and whether you're of the original 39 or you're the plus one, you're looking to make your way onto the ice. Yeah. 
You are looking to stand shoulder to shoulder with your brothers and say, Lord, don't leave me out. If there's going to be someone who is of equal standing as these men, let it be us, Lord. Let it be us that has the equal standing of the same faith that these men have. We are confident that God, that you have obtained a faith that allows you to never leave the ice. Showing that you have equal standing with these saints. Because you've become like them, even as you are becoming like our Savior. Today, we are giving you a call to confidence. In fact, the title of our sermon today is Called to Confidence. Turn with us to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 13. As you are turning, say, Called to Confidence. 1 John 4, 13 in the ESV. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because he has given us of his spirit. You get that in the very beginning in this verse. By this, we know. Meaning that the sign of us being able to completely be confident that we are abiding in him and he in us is by the very fact of his presence and his spirit that is dwelling within us. Ephesians 1, 2 Corinthians 1, speaks of the Spirit being a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. It proves that you are a recipient of the heavenly and divine inheritance that is promised. That you have been sealed by this Spirit that is guaranteeing it. And giving us the confidence that we can abide in Him and that He will abide inside of us. Come on, the fact that God has given you his precious Holy Spirit is supposed to build something on the inside of you. It is a guarantee. Everybody say guarantee. Guarantee. It is guaranteeing something on the inside of you, giving you confidence and hope. Look at verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know And to believe the love that God has for us. Wow. I'm going to say that again just to let the weightiness of the scripture sink into you there. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Amen. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. This passage in verse 14 says that we've seen and we testify. I can't help but think of Job 42. Where Job is saying, yes, we've heard about you, but now we've seen you. We can see it with our own eyes. Can't you say that at one time in your life you had only heard about things such as what you're living in now? If you grew up in a church, this church was the unicorn. It was something that you only thought could exist somewhere else. But now you've seen it. You're walking in it. Much less if you had no idea of God that what you are seeing here is a testimony to the heavens and to the very powerful living God that we serve. We have our confessions, it goes on to say. We confess with our actions. We let our actions speak for us in this. It's not only a limp-wristed saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. We're showing it with every day of our life, with every time we look at someone, with every time we have a prayer and give them a word from God. We are confessing with our life that Jesus is the Son of God and that he has moved inside of us. Church, it's because we've come to know and to believe that God loves us. For most people, if we could just go back to knowing and believing that he loves us, how much would that change the fears and insecurities that people have on on any given day? To know, I know it. I know it down. I know my feelings may be saying something different, but I know and I actually believe because my actions are showing it that God loves me, that He is abiding here through experiential knowledge, through trust grounded obedience. This is what God is doing in our midst, LCM. Haven't you been able to see and testify the reality of the Son of God at work in this church? That you have experiential knowledge of the kingdom of God at work in men and women's lives. And you have seen and able to testify to the fruit of trust-grounded obedience over the course of time. We all are that fruit. And that's what we're celebrating today. One thing we want to look at is the last part of verse 16. 
it gives the understanding of the beginning of verse 17. Last part of 16 says, God is love. And whatever and whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. Verse 17 says, by this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. So by abiding in God's love and God abiding in you brings about the perfected love that is at work among all of us. It supplies a level of confidence, one that can stand surely before the King of Kings on that day of judgment. What so many other men fear and dread we, because of our love for God and love for each other, have the ability to stand with confidence before that beam of seat of Christ. We are able also to be as he is. Did you see that at the very end of verse 17? Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Man, this is a declaration of now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time that we can possess that equal standing, not only with the righteous men of old, but also with our king, the one who is the model and example of this. And we are able to become exactly who he is now in this world, in our daily life. Representing rightly the name of our king and demonstrating the unity and bond of love between the brotherhood. Because as he is, also are we in this world. What an encouragement and confidence builder for us today. See, this passage that we just read to you in 1 John 4 is kind of a, a summary it's an overview of John in his later years giving you an understanding of what abiding love is all about that we have with God. We're going to turn to John 15 and we're going to see the Apostle John recording the words of Jesus to his disciple to give us a better understanding of what this abiding love is all about. Yeah. As you are turning to John 15, we're going to start in verse 9, say called to confidence. John 15 and verse 9, we're going to be reading to you out of the ESV. It says this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Look, clearly stated in this passage is that you have been loved by the Son as the Father has loved him. First originating from the Father to the Son is exactly the same kind of love that the Son has shown you. He has withheld nothing from you. This morning we can gain confidence that we can abide in the Son's love. That we can keep the Father's commandments just as the Son did. In fact, further up in this chapter in verse 8, he says... By your fruit, you will show yourself to be my disciples. By your fruit, you will show that you are the same substance and stock as I am. Because look, our confidence is found in our ability to abide in his love and to keep the Father's commands. And it produces in us a joy and one that is of the fullest, that's not circumstantial. It ever remains because we remain abiding in him. Look, practically, this is carried out with the joy to show the greatest possible love that a man could. And that's to lay down your life for your friends. Mean that it is a joy to daily die to your own visions. It is a joy to daily die to your own goals and your own resources. Why? So that your brother may find confidence to accomplish the will of the Father for his life. Jesus here is teaching us what it is like to be called to his side. He's saying, come to my side, abide in my love, come to my side and keep my commands, come to my side and experience the fullness of joy, come to my side and lay down your life for your brothers. This is what I am. So therefore, this is exactly who you are. Come on now. I love this passage. Let's take a look at verse 14 because he goes on in the same thought process and he says this, 
You are my friends. Yeah. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Yeah. See, your obedience to what God is telling us, to what Jesus Christ is showing us, is proof of your friendship with Christ. Your obedience is proof of the discipleship that's taking place inside of you. Can you imagine this status upgrade that Jesus Christ is laying before <laughs> his friends here? You are no longer servants. And by the way, being a servant of the Most High God, that's a pretty good status already. Yeah. You mean you've allowed me to come and serve? I can serve you all the days of my life? Yes. What a special status. But there's a status upgrade going on in this passage. And there's a status upgrade that we're trying to get you to hold on to today. You've been given more than that. Amen. Amen. As incredible as that is, you've been given more than that. You are no longer servants. You are called friends of the Most High. My goodness, you are sons, you are friends of God. Why? And how do you know that this is true? Because he starts to give you insight into yes. what he's doing. The servant doesn't know what the master's doing. They're just getting instructions and they must go do it without any understanding. See, but we are friends, church. Say, I'm a friend. I'm a friend. We are friends because God is speaking to us. He's giving us insight. He gives us prophetic voice in this church in a constant and ongoing way. Has anybody ever been in a church where that wasn't the norm? Has anybody ever? Yeah, that was all that I was ever a part of, of everyone saying they believed in prophecy, but prophecy never happening. We believe in it like we believe there might be unicorns somewhere. Or Santa Claus. See, here at this church, what you're seeing is God giving insight into what he's doing. By the way, church, that means you're not outside the loop. Amen. You're not in the dark. No. You're not in the wrong crew. You're not being left out by some clique. You have been included into knowing all that the Father has made known to the Son. Do you see that right there in Scripture? All that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. That is the process of what is going on. You have full access. Somebody say full access. Full access. You have full access to the will of God. All that Jesus hears, he makes known to us. See, in Isaiah, it speaks of one who, it speaks of God being the one who not only knows the end from the beginning, but he makes known the end from the beginning. Yes. The prophecy today that came forth through a word in tongues, through scripture, and through ex exhortation, the, the perfect trifecta there. What you have is him speaking to us and saying, I know what's going on. I am putting you in formation. I'll remove what doesn't need to be there and I will orchestrate you because God, our God, is on the warpath and he's letting us know what his will is. Yes. My goodness. What is it to be a friend of God? What is it to enjoy that friendship with God? It reminds me of Exodus 33 and verse 11. I'll just read it to you. It says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. Somebody say face to face. face, to face. Woo! As a man speaks to his friend. Oh, yeah. Come on now. God would share with Moses exactly what his heart was. He showed him the very pattern of heaven. Exodus 25, yeah. 9, Exodus 40. It's, it goes on and on about the exact pattern that God showed him. He showed him time after time, that's the way God treats his friends. That's the way he's treating us in this room. He's saying, you are my friends. Come on, say it again. I'm a friend of God. I am a friend of God. Isaiah 41 verse 8 speaks of the same thing. Stay where you're at. I'm just going to read this to you. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. 
I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What is being declared in this passage to the nation of Israel is also being declared to us this morning. That we are hearing this call to confidence that our king is giving us. That he has elevated us from not only being an honored servant in his presence, but to being a friend face to face, knowing the business of the father, being included in the revelation of his will. Church, do you want to know that it gets even better than this? It does. How does it get being better than being a friend of God? Let's go on to the next verse, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you yeah. and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Somebody say abide. Abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. It's one thing to be friends of somebody, but we're not talking about the kind of friend that you just have as a work friend. You're forced into the same space, so you might as well be cordial to each other. This is actually a selection process. God chose you. Yes. It was started by him. It wasn't even started by us. I chose Jesus. No, you didn't. Not according to John 15, 16. You did not. This process started with him going, ah, <laughs> this is the one that I want. Yes. Oh, look at this. Look at this one. This is the one that I want. I am choosing these to be my friend. I am choosing them to come to my side to be what I am. He started the process. You can't even become a believer. You can't even find Christianity unless he is choosing you and drawing you. The, the book of John tells us that. You cannot come to the Father unless the Spirit is drawing you. It's not your choice to make. Yeah. But when he has made the choice, come on now. Can anybody realize that God has chosen you? He's chosen you and he's appointed you. He has started the selection process. I am so glad. This gives me such confidence to think about. I had a brother that shared and reminded me of the selection process a couple of days ago. Hey, you were chosen to come here to LCM. Oh, yeah. It started to change my thinking on it. That's why I wanted to share this with you. You have been selected. Ray and Lindsay Ludvigson. Yes. You didn't choose yourselves. There's a million reasons why you shouldn't be here, and there's one that you should. It's because he chose you and brought you. Amen. What confidence can that give us today? Yes. Come on, I'm, I'm looking at the men and women in this room, and I know your stories, and I know that God chose you, Anna, and he brought you here. Yes. It's not just because of a sister. It's because God himself chose you and said, I want to do something with this one. I want to move in her life. See, not only were you chosen. Say, I'm chosen. I'm chosen. Now, I'm going to make you say that again. Hang on. You're being kind to me because you love me and we're family. I want you to say it as if you actually believe that you were chosen by Jesus, the Christ, the yeah. son of God, because that's what this is about. And that's what you have been. Say, I am chosen. chosen. Come on now. I can feel the faith rising. Think about this for a minute when it comes to being chosen and understanding your value before God. He hand picked you. His divine hand reached down and plucked you from the wreck and rabble that you were in and chose you to be right here, right now. Rabble's a good word. Every single person in this room, God chose you to be sitting in this seat right now. He chose you to hear this call to confidence. No one should ever have the thought of, I really don't belong here. Because God's hand has selected you to be here. This is the perfect place for you to prosper. Because he chose you to be here. He chose you and appointed you. He appointed, he placed you in the perfect position and set you up to succeed. That's awesome. Keep your place in John 15. I want to read to you from 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12. We're going to read to you 12 through 16. 
First Timothy 1, 12 says this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. See, the reason that God chose you is because he wants to appoint you to do something. It's not just a club that you got invited to be a part of. It's the very son of God. It's the very work of God on this earth. And he has appointed you. He has appointed tasks, good deeds that your hands might be able to accomplish. When he chose you, he appoints you. He sets you up to succeed, to be able to be faithful in what God has. Let's look at verse 13. Because you might look at this and say, yeah, he did that. But pastor, sometimes I... uh, I remember uh, how weak I am. Yeah, Paul does the same thing here, and we're going to help you through that too. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received <laughs> mercy saying. because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Look at what verse 15 goes on to say. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. You ready for what's deserving of full acceptance? (laughs) That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason. That in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. The Lord is chosen you and he's appointed you he is setting an example with each of us in this room if he can do it with me and he can do it with you then it shows his greatness not anything about ourselves other than the fact that um he chose us and appointed us yeah you know what you were chosen and appointed for what purpose as the scripture that we're reading in john 15 is is to go and bear lasting fruit to go and bear eternal fruit good fruit like, the, like a master gardener, he took you and placed you in the perfect soil. The perfect soil of this church. And that would provide the necessary nutrients because he sees your ability to bear ongoing fruit. And look, not just a moment of fruitfulness. That is from time to time and one occasion or another. But what God is doing in this house, through families, in this church, is that you are producing a perpetual harvest that flows from abiding in his love and keeping his commands. How can I not think of the Hewitts? I'm watching these guys firsthand dig down and become even more planted in the soil, the vision, the heart, and way of life in this church. And I'm watching consistent fruit coming above and being able to provide nourishment for all of us. You know, when you talk about bearing fruit, you know how I think of? I think of Steve and Joyce Thomas. Yeah! Hey, little hint here for you. Some of the verses that we're sharing today came from my talk with Steve that Steve shared with me. Look at that. Steve Thomas and Joyce Thomas are absolutely bearing fruit, and it's the kind of fruit that is going to last. This family. You know why your wife had to just get up and go check on a kid? Because I'm going to sit here and encourage you. So this, Steve, is exactly what you're going to do. You're going to share this with your wife, and this Thomas family is going to realize that they've been called, appointed, and are bearing fruit and are an example of the faith. Look, let's go on to verse 16. It says, you did not choose me. I'm going to reread verse 16 for you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that... Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You've been, you're a friend of God. You've been chosen. You've been appointed. You're bearing lasting fruit so that. Everybody say, so that. There's a purpose to this. There's even more. It keeps getting better. So that you are able to ask the Father in the name of Jesus Christ and that he can give to you what you need from him. Because you're abiding, because you're his friend, because you've been chosen and appointed, because of these things, you are able to ask him what you need, and your father is delighted to be able to give it to you. This is the kind of thing that should build confidence in us, church. And look at verse 17. These things I command you, so that... Do you hear how this progression of Jesus is saying it just keeps getting better and better and better and better so that 
you will love one another. That you'll have the confidence to build each other up in love. You'll have the confidence to walk through what this entire passage has said. And the ultimate is that you begin to love one another. Calling each other to your own side so that we can all do this together and grow even as the body builds itself up in love. So what we have covered so far in John chapter 15, we've put together on a slide that relates to you being called to confidence. Elsie, we want to tell you that you are confident because you abide in his love and keep his commands. You are confident because you are a friend of the Son of God. You are confident because the Father's will has been made known to you. You are confident because you are chosen and appointed by the Father's Son. You are confident because you are sent to bear lasting fruit. And you have whatever you ask of the Father in the Son's name. In LCM, you are confident because you are demonstrating the ability to love one another just as the Father has loved the Son and the Son has loved you. Come on, this reminds us of a familiar passage of what it looks like for the body to grow and build itself up in love. Turn with us to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs 27. And we're going to start in verse 17. As you are turning, say, called to confidence. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. To sharpen, to hone, to wet, to strop, to edge, to accumulate. Yeah. That's a really cool word. You're welcome. Accumulate, to file, to refine, to fine tune, to perfect, to improve. As iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Man, this is showing us and it's what the Lord has been speaking to us. The need for brotherhood for us to be able to get sharper. For us to cut away those unnecessary parts. It's almost like we need men of understanding to draw understanding out of us. To get through these things that God is doing. It's like iron sharpening iron. One man sharpening another. Turning and sharpening another. And what is happening in this house is this house is getting sharper and sharper. Our discernment is dialing in. What God is speaking to us is more clear and more clear and more clear. Because we're trusting the brotherhood more than we ever have before. We're actually trusting the way that God has said to do this as a family, as a group of people on equal standing with each other and with the Lord. We are being just like him, and that is what is producing a sharpness in this church. Come on, church. I can see the benefits and the fruit of what you guys have been doing with sharing words with each other. It has been like iron sharpening iron. Haven't you been blessed by those in this church that have given you a word here recently? prophetically speaking into your heart, your mind, giving you military intelligence on the next thing that God's will is wanting to accomplish. But there's something really beautiful in this verse that we found in the Young's literal translation. If we could put that up. Iron by iron is sharpened, and a man sharpens the face of his friend. Sharpens the face of his friend. So, just to share a little bit of uh, deeper understanding, Rashi says this of this verse, that Torah scholars sharpen each other in halakha, in the way they walk and carry out God's word, meaning that they sharpen the character of his, his friend. By utilizing the word with precision and accuracy, you're actually forming and shaping and sharpening the image of Christ in your brothers and your sisters. Starting with the foundation of abiding in his love and keeping his commands, we are helping each other, building each other up in love to develop the image of Christ that is in all of us. Think about the fruitfulness that has been born from this in our church. When we are actively sharing words with each other, everyone is being strengthened. Everyone is having the mind of Christ together. And we are able to rightly reflect the face of our king to everyone else that we come in contact with. Take a look at this slide. We just want to remind you of it here. Just remind you that 
as we are sharpening each other. This is giving us the answer in John 15, how to continue to sharpen each other, <laughs> how, to, how to encourage and develop the image of Christ, have the confidence because we're abiding in his love and keeping his commands, the confidence that you are a friend of the son of God, and you can reflect that friendship to your brothers, that the father's will has been made known to you, and you can aid your brother in knowing the will of the father for them. Man, isn't that a good thing that you don't have to know every answer all by yourself? As a matter of fact, you can't possibly know the answers. God has instilled it in us that we need what he is doing here and we need our brothers. Your confidence in being chosen and appointed by the Son of God lets you know that you can move forward and see your brothers sharpened in the image. That you are bearing lasting fruit. And you can empower your brother to do the exact same thing. In the same manner. On equal standing. Because you're part of the same family. That you have whatever you ask of the father. (laughs) And you sharpen the face of your friend by asking the Lord to do the same thing in them. Church, you're living it out right now. You're living out both what John 15 says and what Proverbs 27 is teaching us to do. Let's look further here in Proverbs 27 and go to verse 18. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. And he who guards his master will be honored. Okay, we're going to give you a little secret here. We have not left the same theme of what the other verses were about. This is still talking about sharpening. This is still talking about the exact same topic. And we're going to help you to see it. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruits. You start talking about the cultivation of pruning, of caring for the soil, keeping free from disease and mildew and blight. There's no infestation of pestilence. You're consecrating every area of the tree so that it will, in fact, bear lasting fruit. See, whoever tends to the tree gets the fruit of it. It's kind of like 2 Timothy 2 where the hardworking farmer is the first to receive the share of the crops. You're tending things in your life. The one one who tended to the tree, what happens to that and the work that you're doing? You tend to be bonded to that which is producing fruit in your life because you've been looking after it. You've been caring for the roots, and it's yielding a reward to what it produces. See, this is in direct parallel in this passage. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. Now, Solomon doesn't go off on a tangent here. He's thinking the same idea. He who guards his master will be honored. See, the ones who are guarding, shamar is the Hebrew word there. Guarding the master, they're tethered, united to the way of life that is promising the fruit of honor. Can become, he's becoming just like his master. Yes. He's tending to the master. Wives, this is the, the product of you in your own life, cultivating your hearts and tending to your husband. Everyone in this room, it's us tending to the master's business, answering his call to come to the master's side to become what he is. What is it like for a servant who becomes a friend? Who is like and guarding what the master has done as you become just like him. You are able to eat the fruits of that relationship. One wonderful example of this is found in the relationship between Paul and his son, Timothy. I'm going to read to you. Hold your place in Proverbs 27. I'm going to read to you out of 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 15 in the ESV. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, let me say it a different way. But as for you, LCM, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, what Timothy did is that he tended the fig tree of what he learned from Paul. And he had the honor of becoming who Paul was. It is through abiding in the love that we receive from the Son. 
keeping God's commands. In fact, Timothy was acting as a friend of the Son of God, knowing the Father's will, confident that he was chosen and appointed by the Son, bearing lasting fruit, confident to ask whatever is needed from the Father so that he could show through action love for Paul's way of life. And look, even after stating these things, Paul gives Timothy the confidence to be sober-minded and endure suffering in how to obtain the same crown of righteousness that he did. So in fact, here in Proverbs 27, in verse 21, speaks of this very process. Look at verse 21 with us. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. Crush a fool in a mortar with a pestle, along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. See, Paul, Peter, John, Jesus, they all understood the refinement process of the righteous. The righteous are refined because the impurities being drawn out of them are not what they really are. What they really are is compared to silver. What they really are is compared to gold. And what happens when you refine those items? Those items only get better through the refinement process. You are separating out what is not the real substance and removing it so that it's ever refined, that it's ever sharpened. And God is making you more about his silver, that redemption. He's making you more like him with the divinity that God has. See, this is what is going on in this place. We are encouraging you to be confident. When you see something that is coming to the surface, don't define yourself by that which is coming to the surface. Know that God is refining you and getting it out of you. Because it can be removed from you, and so it is. Yes. Come on, church. you got to understand what God is doing in this house. This is you. You're the silver. You're the gold. You're not the dross. Amen. You're not the particulates that keep rising to the surface. And if you look at them and define yourself by that, you're missing the whole point. See, you should be confident when God turns up the heat on you. You should be confident when that crucible that's there, that's starting to to bear down on you. You should be confident going, ha ha, I'm becoming more like him right now. It's always been in there, and he's removing it. Amen. Man, that's how a friend treats a friend. That's how someone who is chosen and appointed gets dealt with. Church, you are precious metals that he values enough to bring you through the same refining process that all men and women of God go through. Amen. So you can obtain the faith of equal standing that they all had. Let's be honest. It's in the times of refinement that we start to treasure and value our ability to abide in his love, isn't it? Amen. Yeah. You can trust that you have a fixed value. You can trust that yes. he is abiding with you. And no matter what your flesh is saying, you can just tell just to shut that flesh up. Yes. Shut the flesh up. Because what's happening inside of us is we're getting greater precision. We're getting honed in. Amen. Did you notice in, verse, in Proverbs 27, 22, that you can crush a fool? You go ahead, throw in some grain while you're at it. I don't know. That just, that just struck me as funny. Crush the fool and grain. Because there's no point in crushing a fool. You get zero out of you crush the fool because his folly will not depart. You know what that means? That every molecule of the fool is still a fool. No matter how finite, it's still the same. (laughs) But what happens to the righteous is you cannot crush us to the point and cause us anything but good. The more we're crushed, the more he removes the dross, the more he removes the chaff, the more he removes the things that don't belong. Church, that's what he's doing to us. That is what he's doing inside of our midst. Can you know, do you know that that's true? Come on now. This is exactly what he's doing. You're no fool. I pity the fool. You are no fool because when you get crushed, when something happens, you get refined. You get better. There is a point to what is going on. Now, this has been always God's process of doing this. 
the, the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold. We get tested by both the praise and the difficulties that we receive because he is our friend and he has chosen us for this. Come on, turn with us to Hebrews chapter 2. You know, as you're turning, we've been speaking to you about how much God values you, how he handpicked you, how he is faithful to refine you because you are his righteous offspring. See, our hearts lie to us. Our, our emotions deceive us. Right? You ever been corrected and you feel crushed? You ever been rebuked and you begin to reel for a little while? We're giving you a call to confidence this morning. We're saying that your father is refining you because you belong to him. If you didn't belong to him, he wouldn't refine you. He would just store you up like that fool and grain and save it for a day of absolute crushing. Take heart this morning. Respond to the call of conf to confidence that your God is investing in you through that refinement. Is everybody in Hebrews chapter 2? Yes, Verse 10. And bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting... That God, for, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. So look, as we put this together, Jesus demonstrated his love for us by laying down his life for his brothers, for you. So that he could bring you to the same glory that he now dwells in. He has been made perfect through suffering. And the confidence that we have is that so will we experience that same process. He is making you holy because you are the, of the same family as the son. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer outside the father's house. You are now a son that Jesus is not ashamed to call his brother. In fact, he is the epitome of what it means to parakaleo, to call to the side of, because he chose you to be like him. And he will proudly proclaim your name to his brothers, Israel, because we have been made of the same family. Hebrews 2.10 began with bringing many sons to glory, fulfilling what is quoted later in the passage from Isaiah chapter 8. Where it says, here I am and the children God has given me. The glory that we participate in is that we, as his children, are his signs and symbols. Amen. The very supernatural product of what God who dwells in Israel does for his children. Through this, we should gain the confidence that his spirit of sonship is at work inside of us. And the same father that we cry out to is the same father that they cry out to. Turn with us to Romans 8 so we can see how this same family impacts each of us. As you're turning to Romans 8, say called to confidence. We're going to start in verse 14. It says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with brother Jesus Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Saints, this is a familiar passage for this body. But what we want you to embrace today is how much that verse 14 is a declaration and a promise. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Let me say that a different way. If you are a son of God, 
he will lead you by his spirit. A lot of what God is trying to do here in our midst is trying to give you the confidence to go ahead and move forward, trusting that he's going to lead you. What the enemy always wants to do in your mind is to hear that as some other thing that you have to try to achieve on your own, as a burden on you instead of a confidence builder. Oh, man, I got to be, I got to be led by the spirit. <laughs> yes. But if you're the son of God, if you're a son of God, he's going to lead you by his spirit. Amen. That's his proclamation that that's what he's going to do. See, his spirit of sonship is supposed to give us the confidence that we are his sons and co-heirs with Christ, inheriting from the Son of God the love the Father gave to him. And it's able to produce joy. Somebody say joy. Joy, joy in our suffering because of the glory that would be obtained. See, today we're going to take confidence in our ability to cry out, Abba, Father, because we know that our Father hears us and he's going to grant us whatever we ask from him. We are those who are abiding in his great love. Amen. We're chosen. We're appointed. You're friends with God, church. You're his very sons and daughters in this room. And the spirit himself bears witness with our own spirit that this fact is true. See, we're children of God and we're being led by the very spirit of God. That spirit of truth that is supposed to abide in us forever. Amen. Let's turn to John chapter 14. We're going to pick up in verse 15. Saints, are you hearing the call to confidence this morning? Yeah, we got it. Verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Look, notice here in this passage that you have the son requesting of the father to give us another counselor who is the spirit of truth. One that would live with us and within us for an eternity. Shouldn't that give us great confidence that we are his sons and his spirit in us is evidence of it? Early in the, in the message, we showed you a slide of the word parakaleo, meaning to call to the side of. Well, the word counselor in this passage is derived from the word parakaleo. And the word for counselor is parakletos, meaning the one who comes forward in behalf of and as the representative of another, aiding, exhorting, encouraging, Counseling the sons of God by calling them to his side. In fact, another gem that we found in this passage is the word another. This isn't simply another of a different kind. This means one of the very same substance as the son. And this is who is calling you to the side of the son. The very spirit of God declaring to you that he has chosen you, appointed you to be the same substance as the son. The process of calling, the verb of calling to your side is parakaleo. Uh, uh, parakaleo. The person who is doing the calling is the parakletos. The person who is calling you to his side and Jesus is saying, Lord, give him somebody. Father, give them the spirit to keep calling them to the side that is of the same Amen. substance that I am. Amen. See, he is calling us. We have been called to the side of the son of God by the very spirit of God who brings us to God to be like God. Yes. That is this process that yes. is going on. This is what a spirit of sonship is all about. The father's will was to bring us to himself through his son by the spirit so that we're a power empowered to abide in God's love and God abiding in us so that he can perfect us, so that he can produce a confidence to stand before him as a righteous co-heir with Christ. Amen. See, one of the beginning steps of responding to our king's call to come to his side is through baptism. We're going to have a baptism in just a few minutes. Yeah. Let's all turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 so we can connect these dots for you and give you a clear picture of what our response is. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. There you go. 
For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at, the, at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Look, what we've witnessed in our body are those who have been transformed born again, and ready to make this pledge of a good conscience. Having the evidence of resurrecting power that is now at work in them. After service, we're going to have a baptism where they can fulfill this pledge in public fashion like it's always been done. But there's an additional item. For those of you in the room who have already made this pledge to God, and have been baptized, we want to urge you to continue in this pledge of a good conscience. Urge you and encourage you to rightfully take confidence of the steps that we listed for you in John chapter 15. Before we move to our close, I just want to encourage you, those of you who are getting baptized, I want you to understand what 1 Peter 3 said. This is the pledge from or of a good conscience. This is not the removal of dirt. This is not a pledge that one day I hope to be able to do this. What we love about what's going on in this church is we can see life that, lives that have been changed. You're saying, I have already experienced a change inside, and I want everyone to see it. We're going to go outside, and we want the whole world to see what has already taken place here. It is our pledge from a clear, good, righteous, holy conscience that we are showing in an outward step. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people try to make it a, I hope to do good one day. We're saying we've been transformed and we want to show everybody the yes. work that has been going on on Amen. the inside of us. That is why real baptism becomes earth shattering. It becomes powerful. It becomes in other countries what will get you arrested. You can call yourself a Christian, but you don't get in trouble until you actually get baptized. You know why? Because it's the public sign of your inward transformation. It's the sign Amen. that God has abided with you. It is a sign that you are abiding with him. Baptism is a powerful, everybody say powerful. powerful. It is a powerful work of the Lord in our body. And we get to celebrate the baptism in water today. And we're praying that God will even renew a baptism in the spirit on many of you in this place today. We can truly say that now is a time of God's favor. Now is a time of God's favor where we are seeing families grow in greater confidence. We're having the ability to baptize those that have genuinely been transformed and are taking that pledge of a good conscience today. Amen. We are proud to be a church that is a family of the same substance that our king is. A family that has the same conviction and constitution as those 39 plus one that never left the ice. We are a family that stands shoulder to shoulder. We are a family that stands at the side of our great king who suffered so that you could participate in his glory, becoming what he is in this world. So I ask that you stand to your feet. Being called to confidence this morning looks like this. It is now. It is now at this altar that you can find the confidence to abide in his love and have the strength to keep his commands. Here at this altar, you can have the confidence to know that you are a friend of the Son of God and that he will delight to reveal to you what the Father has revealed to him. 
at this altar, you can find the confidence that you have been chosen and appointed by the Son, and that you can also go out and bear ongoing fruit. Here at this altar, you can find the confidence to love one another just as a son has loved you. So look as I pray. Let your hearts be laid bare before the Father. Let his word and his call to confidence strengthen you in any one of these areas that he is helping you become refined and grow in. We have an ability to seek the Father's face right now and from him receive everything we need for life and godliness. Jesus, we thank you for being our brother. We thank you for giving us of your spirit, of that same substance that helps us become what and who you are. Father, I say strengthen us this morning. Let our hearts find a fuller level of confidence in your work inside of us as a body. And may your will be done on earth in this place as it is in heaven.